If you want a wildly healthy, naturally disease-resistant pet who turns heads and starts conversations with awestruck onlookers, you're right where you belong. This is the Vital Animal Podcast with your host, homeopathic veterinarian, Dr. Will Falconer. I'm so glad you joined us today. This is the Vital Animal Podcast, and it is my great pleasure to introduce today's guest, who is a fellow homeopathic vet and a longtime friend, Dr. Todd Cooney. Welcome, Todd. Hi, Will. Thanks for having me so much. You're very welcome. Glad to have you here. So I brought you here today, Todd, to talk about parvo, this disease that uh, we hear so much about. And I know you see a fair amount of it. And being a homeopathic vet, you have some experiences different than the average conventional veterinarian about it. So if we could, let's just start with what the heck is this thing called parvo? And who gets it? And why do we care about it? Okay. Um, yeah, it's uh, parvo is one of my favorite subjects, actually, which is kind of a strange thing to say, but um, it just it's called parvo because par- parvus, the Latin word, means tiny, and so they're tiny viruses. So parvoviruses are a family of viruses, very tiny. Of course, all viruses are pretty tiny. These are especially tiny, and uh, we're concerned mainly with um, dogs, canine parvovirus, but there is a feline parvovirus, which is usually called panleukopenia. So um, if you're a cat person, then that's that's something you're familiar with probably. But um, I think the focus, uh, you wanted to be canine parvovirus. Yes. And with, with dogs. So, yeah, my, my, uh, my experience with it has um, gone from vaccinating conventionally for about 20 years and seeing a lot of disease in spite of vaccinating and just thinking, well, you know, this is as good as it gets with vaccines. <laughs> vaccines aren't perfect, you know. The salesmen tell me that all the time. <laughs> vaccine <laughs> failure. We called it vaccine failure. Um, so I accepted that as part of life. And then um, once I took the homeopathy course and started to have new truths revealed to me by the great master, Dr. Pitt Cairn, um, I started to um, re- realign my practice habits with my thinking and vaccinated less and then eventually didn't vaccinate at all. In the course of about a year and a half, two years, I went from vaccinating less to vaccinating, not at all. And just using no-sodes. And right now, I'm, I'm at the... So I've done that for about eight... I think I've done that for about 10 years now. Yeah, about 10 years. Cool. And I've discovered a lot of interesting things. But, but you know, puppies, puppies, of course, get parvo. The four to six month age range is the highest risk. And that's when most cases will occur. You know, the typical one coming in is a five-month-old puppy. Uh-huh. They may or may not have had vaccines and they have clinical disease. So um, it's something dog owners are well acquainted with. Uh, a lot of fear around the word parvo. Right. Um, yeah, I think it's one of the things they fear the most, you know, right up there with cancer and heartworm. Uh-huh. So. Well, probably because it's got a fairly high death rate, correct? Yeah, fairly high death rate. Um, well, I, I guess I would say when treated conventionally, 
Yes, when treated you homeopathically, have a different... we we save the majority of them. It seems like, yeah. Nice, nice. Yeah. So. yeah, that's why I wanted to hear your take on it. So, we got a disease caused by a virus that, in conventional circles, even vaccinated animals can die from. Correct? Oh yeah, absolutely. In fact, we've we've determined and almost proven through our clinical data that vaccinated puppies are at higher risk of dying than unvaccinated. And the highest survival rate goes to the ones who aren't vaccinated and have had no sowed protection. So, um, I yeah, it's made me a firm believer, and we'll I guess we'll get into no sows later. But I know a lot of homeopaths are not big fans of no sows, and I toy with the idea of not using them and just treating with with remedies. But and that would probably be fine too. I really think it would, but. We've, we've become accustomed to using nosodes, offering them to clients. And I think it gives them a little bit of a security feeling because they're doing something, you know. Yeah. They want to be doing something. They could probably be giving a remedy too and feel like they're doing something. But it, it's hard for people to lose, uh, to leave behind the idea of vaccinating, you know, when they've yeah. been so used to it for so long. You know, it's yeah. been ingrained in their mind. So we have a lot of heart-to-heart talks about, you know, whether to vaccinate this new puppy or not. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine that's an uphill climb for a lot of people. We've it, it, even even for you, having gone through twenty years of practice vaccinating and trusting it to have changed in a year and a half. That's uh, kudos to uh, a pretty quick turnaround. It it wasn't easy. <laughs> it wasn't easy, and I had a lot of encouragement along the way from people like you, actually, and. Um, Glenn Dupree, uh, Richard Pitcairn, of course, uh, other other homeopaths that I that I had the pleasure of talking to as I was training, and really gave me confidence, you know, to go that route. And and now I have, you know, the experience of a few years under my belt and the good results, which really boosts my confidence. So, yeah, it's it's really one of the main reasons I wanted to hear from you and and share your research work on this because you've got you've got the best research at all you're not up in an ivory tower you know crunching numbers and looking at plates of uh, cell culture and viruses injected into the cell culture you're looking at real animals coming into your door and you've kept track of your work so tell us about that research what have you learned from it um yeah that it's been great we um I guess we could be called the blue-collar ivory tower, right? Yeah. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> the down-home ivory tower. <laughs> uh, well, I first, you know, when I first um, decided to work up some of these numbers, it was back in 2014. You believe it had been that long ago. It was at the ranch, and I, I gave a presentation, and then afterwards I, I wrote up a little article and sent it to Dogs Naturally, and it was the first time I ever wrote an article, really. And they they printed it, and then... Um, just about, I don't know, six months or so ago, I guess about a year ago, when I was, when I was asked to speak for AHVMA, I decided I would do an update of the data. So part of my talk for AHVMA was parvo and, and homeopathy. So I went, went back into the clinic database and did six years of records this time. Last time wow. Was, first time it was about a year and a half of records, and this time it was six years of records. Beautiful. And I really found out some interesting things. And um, 
one of the things that prompted it is because I was curious because we realized one day, I think last fall, that we hadn't seen a case of parvo in about two years. And I thought, where are all the parvo cases? You know, it's weird. We haven't seen one. Huh. Of course, you always feel like you're going to jinx yourself if you think like that. Right. <laughs> in practice, because here comes the, you know, dump truck load of car- parvo cases. But Right, right. But it, it didn't happen. And what I found was that, um, interestingly enough, because as you're working in practice, you know, most people that are in clinical practice are in, I call it reacting mode. You're day-to-day working and you're just reacting to, you're putting out fires a lot of times. You're just dealing right. with things as they happen. Right. And you're, you're trying to plan things, but um, the best laid plans, uh, you know how that goes. Yeah, but, yeah. But we did have our preventive plan in place for the NOSODs. And um, up until about late 2015, we had seen from 2014 until the end of 2015, we'd seen about eight cases of parvo in the NOSOD puppies. And this was this was out of um, this was out of quite a few puppies. So I decided that uh, you know I decided that was a little too high. So. And what we were doing at the time, we were given no-sodes monthly. So I talked to some some folks about other options and decided to go weekly, to do the no-sode weekly until the pups were about six months old. So instead of getting three or four doses of no-sode, these puppies were starting to get 10 or 12 doses of no-sode during that time. And uh-huh. what we saw is the cases dropped um, dramatically. And wow. I didn't realize that until I went back and looked at all the numbers. You know, I had a feeling, I had a gut feeling that they had gone down. But um, Todd, let me let me just interject here. Would yeah. you tell tell our audience what no sode means? Oh, sure. No sode is um, uh, no sodes are. I explain them to people as if they are like a homeopathic substitute for a vaccine. They're not really vaccinations. You know, they don't, they don't function as a vaccine at all. They're given as remedies. They're, first of all, they're remedies that are made from the, the products or byproducts of the disease process or the disease itself. So, right. you know, parvonosode probably starts out as something pretty awful and, <laughs> and then it's transformed into a nice, clean little sugar pellet that we can dissolve in water and we can give it safely to a puppy to help help them produce a uh, better immunity. And there are no sods for all sorts of things. Uh, there are no sods for heartworm, um, rabies, Lyme disease, distemper. You know, just most diseases have a no sod. The no sod for rabies is called is called lysin or hydrophobinum. And it isn't allowed to be a replacement for a rabies vaccine, unfortunately. But we still give it to puppies. We give them one dose of it when they're young. And I, I, I really feel like it probably gives better immunity than the vaccine does. But so, so we're that's, working, that's we're no working sense. with a ultra diluted substance, right? So diluted that there's ultra nothing diluted. physical left. Nothing physical left. No, it's just an energetic medicine, just like homeopathic remedies are energetic. And um, you know, there's there's some really interesting proof of no sodes working in the human world. And I mentioned quite a few of those in some of my HVMA talks and. One of the biggest ones recently was in Cuba, where they used a no-sode for lepto in about uh, two and a half million people. And lepto is a really bad problem in the tropics 
during rainy season, and they dropped they dropped the dose or the uh, they dropped the cases of lepto by about eighty five percent by giving two and a half million people two doses. They just got two doses wow. about three weeks apart and dropped the cases eighty five percent. And they had been vaccinating in Cuba for quite a while for lepto, but without much success. So they finally decided. Interesting. We'll try some homeopathy. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. It was after a big hurricane, as I recall. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So water is everywhere and carrying the lepto around. And that, yeah, I, I, yeah, I shared that study with my people as well. That's, a, that's an amazing yeah. watershed on understanding. Yeah. So we and, so we we send uh, a uh, a sample of maybe a parvo stool to a to a uh, a homeopathic pharmacy originally I suspect to get a no sode. Um, that's one way you could do it. Yes, I I order mine uh, from Hahnemann Labs in California, and they they're pre made. Yes. So they're 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 ready made. So I don't have to send any stool to the lab. Right. That would probably be even a more uh, efficient way to do it if you had your own local no-sode mate for your local variety of virus. But this seems to work very well. And yeah, that's what I've used as well, Todd. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I first, uh, I think I first came across it at Savannah at the AVH meeting, and they had a booth. Hahnemann Labs had a booth, or they had their no-sode kit there for yeah. sale, and I, I grabbed one then and still have yeah. my original kit. Yeah. So, okay, so that's what a yeah. no-sode is, and then let's go on and hear more of what you discovered with it. It it sounds like um, upping your no-sodes from monthly to weekly made a huge difference. Yeah, yeah. I was trying to find the actual numbers right here, and um, yeah. So before we switch to weekly no-sode dosing, I mean, just to really sum it in a nutshell, this says it really well. I think we had. Um, out of 680, 686 total pups during that time frame, about a two-year period, we had 46 parvo-positive puppies with eight deaths. So that amounts to about 6.5% uh, 6 testing positive and 17.5% of the positive pups dying. Um, so I was not real happy with that. I thought that was a little too high. You know, that was not, I thought we could do better. Or I thought the no-sodes could do better. So starting in 2016, we started to give the no-sode weekly. And from then on, it, even till now, it seems like we just barely see parvo cases at all. So from that time on, we saw five out of 883 test positive. So it went from 46 out of 686 to five out of 883, wow. which is a half percent. And we had wow. zero deaths. We had no deaths at all. Wow. So out of 883 puppies, you know, zero deaths, only five positive. And that's that's a pretty good sample size. I mean, I don't know. I'm tempted to send this to HV or AVMA, but I don't think they, would, they wouldn't print it. It wouldn't get past the editor. I wonder. Uh, that's but, really interesting. That's solid data from years of work. Yeah. And, you know, it isn't. It really isn't a subjective thing either because no. we're looking at if they tested positive and if they lived or died. So those are not things that are up for interpretation. Exactly. So when I saw that, I thought, wow, okay, it, is, <laughs> it isn't my imagination. Things are better now. And because, well, when I first started this I practice I'm in now in 2012, for the first few years, 
Every morning I walked into work and I was greeted with the nice aroma of Parvo. Oh, man. We always had a sick puppy in the hospital and we were always treating a Parvo case, it seemed like, holding him overnight. So the whole clinic, you know, got got that. My techs went around spraying lavender as much as they could, but it didn't help very much. (laughs) Oh, wow. So now we don't have that, uh, that, that nice background odor of Parvo very much at all. Well, you said something really interesting, Todd, that, that now they're just not coming in since at least last fall. You you haven't seen a case. So it makes me wonder, uh, I'll just wonder out loud with you, do you think there's been a change in the population, the dog population in your area from um, all this work? Yeah, I'm not real sure. I'm curious, though, but I have, I have had... Um a few of my techs do like mystery phone calls to some of the other clinics and say, you know, ask them about Parvo and what is, yeah. what is it like in this area? Are you seeing a lot of cases? Oh, yeah, we see a lot of cases. They say, yeah, it's really bad. You should vaccinate your puppy. We see a lot of cases. Ah. And, and some of the other vets have told me the same thing. In fact, okay. at first when I opened shop here in the new clinic, they, they blamed me for a lot of their Parvo cases because they said <laughs> – I, I wasn't vaccinating, so they were seeing more parvo. Uh-huh. Um, but they weren't our clients. I mean, the puppies they were seeing were not our yeah. clients. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, beautiful. I, I remember getting a similar blame as I was telling people to uh, yeah. watch their vaccines. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. So um, that's that's really striking data. So the other vet clinics in the area are still probably walking into that smell that you walked into in 2012 every, on a daily basis. Well, it's a, another interesting thing, Will, is that some of the clinics won't even treat a Parvo case. We have a couple of them that they will send them to us. They just refer them over to us for treatment. <laughs> so, so we do treat we do treat some cases, but they're not from our pool of puppies uh, that are taking no sods. You know, we just uh, had one. We just had one a week or two ago that came in, and it was a four year old dog that tested positive and had you know pretty mild symptoms, but. Still, it was Parvo, and and we we treated the dog for about two days, and it got better and went home. And so, a four year old—that's unusual, isn't it? Yeah, it tends to be the it tends to be more common. The last few years, we see older dogs. We saw one that was ah. six. We saw one that was five, and we've seen them like three, four, and five years old. And their history is that they've been vaccinated as puppies. So, ah. Um, I may start to look more into that because that that interests me too. They're, they see a similar thing in measles with kids, I guess, young teenage kids who get measles after they've been vaccinated. Uh, like their vaccine immunity wears off at some point uh-huh. and then they they don't have any real natural immunity. So they, they get the real disease and then they get their natural immunity. <laughs> interesting, so, interesting. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that begs the question, do you think these no-so-treated pups – They've got to be exposed to parvo, and they've got to be building some natural immunity to it, even though they're not getting sick. Absolutely, yeah. I think I think that's what's happened, and um, you know, I, I even suspect that vaccinated pups, the true protection they're getting is from natural immunity. You know, in spite of the vaccine, uh-huh. it's like they're they're having to get it working around the vaccine. Uh-huh. So the vaccine probably inhibits it in some way, and they form it anyway. And yeah. I think that explains why a lot of vaccinated pups, if they do get parvo, they they have a poorer chance of survival because they their immune system can't deal with it as well. 
Aha, aha, it's, makes it's, sense. It's hampered. It's hampered in a way. That's that's my th- that's my pet theory. <laughs> so share some of that data with us as well, Todd, if you've got it uh, in your mind or handy. I, I I know you compared vaccinated pups, or maybe that's what you gave me. Um, no, you well, gave no, me monthly to weekly. So you compared yeah. vaccinated pups and their outcome in yeah. your hands with non-vaccinated pups and your outcome, correct? Right. That's correct. And and in the first study, the one that I presented back in 2014 that I mentioned, um, in that one, I just, I really wanted to compare. Um, I looked at all of our parvo-positive cases. Back then, we, we had only had um, 275 pups for wellness packages, and that means puppies that had no sods because we, with the puppy wellness package, that includes no sod no sod coverage for them. And, um, but that was back when we were still doing the monthly no sod, we weren't doing weekly. Mm-hmm. So, so during that time though, we had, um, we had 12 of those pups of 275 become ill and 10 of 12 survived. And then in addition, we had 35 other pups test positive that weren't part of the puppy wellness package group. And 20 survived and 15 died, so a much higher mm. uh, death rate in those pups. So that was that was what we looked at at first. That's what I presented at the ranch meeting where where you were a few years ago. Mm-hmm. So it was a much smaller group, but still we um, we ended up finding out that uh, of the 47 pups that had parvo, 19 of them were vaccinated. So it was about 40 percent. Mm. And that that jives similar with other data that's been published. Not many people are looking at that kind of data, but yeah. um, another study had about twenty-two or twenty-three percent of vaccinated pups still got parvo. So in our little group, it was forty percent. Wow! And then um, the pups that received no sods had zero percent mortality compared to vaccinated pups, which had seventy-six percent mortality. Wow! And again. It was kind of small group sizes, but still, that's that's almost one of those things where you don't need statistics. You know, seventy six to zero. It's yeah, it's yeah. obviously different. Yeah, yeah. And so, have you carried out the the that work through the years of tracking vaccinated versus on? Um, I didn't do it for the six year time frame. It was just uh, it was too much to go yeah, through. And yeah. I, it yeah. was enough just to go through what I did. But I think yeah. I would like to go back and look at it and compare it to the earlier numbers. So you've got the data. You just have to crunch yeah. the numbers at some point. Yeah. We just yeah. have to extract it out of there. It's in there, though. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that tells a huge story. So just to just to reiterate it so everyone listening gets it, you you looked at the vaccinated population coming into your clinic with Parvo versus those who were non-vaccinated but had no sods, and the ones with the vaccines had a 76% mortality rate with Parvo, and the ones who were not vaccinated, zero, and they had right. no sods. Right, yeah. That's beautiful. I mean, yeah, I don't care how small your numbers were on that, even if they were just in the range yeah. of 100 or two, that's that's significant data. Yeah, and the 0% group um, were puppies that had as far as we know, they had no vaccines at all. They had was no uh-huh. sods. There was an intermediate group that maybe had one vaccine and then started no sods, and their death rate was was somewhere between 
Uh, it was a small number of puppies, though. It wasn't very many. Uh-huh. Um, I think it was 29%. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, they had vaccines first and no sos later. That was one out of 30 or 3% survived. Five out of 17 died or 29%. So uh-huh. the death rate was a lot lower. Survival rate was... Um, Survival rate was not zero, but it was pretty low. Three mm-hmm. percent. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, ninety. Yeah, I guess it would be ninety-seven percent. But uh, I just want to interject something here, which is Dr. Cooney's going back to quite old data here from 2014 before he really got serious about um, studying this in larger numbers and looking at more years worth of data. So while these numbers are confusing, he's looking at them for the first time since probably he presented this data in 2014. The bottom line is this. The vaccinated animals, whether they were vaccinated solely as their protection, had a high death rate of 76% when they got parvo anyway. Those who were vaccinated and then switched to nosodes, the homeopathic protection, came in the middle and had some deaths not as many as the only vaccinated ones, but they did not do as well as the ones who had zero vaccines and used only his nosodes for protection. That final group, nosodes only, no vaccines, had 0% mortality. And again, the numbers on these older data are in the realm of 30 animals, uh, 30, maybe 27 to 30 animals. So it's not real significant data. It was just enough to give him the idea that the vaccines impaired things. Definitely the, the all so group did better by far. Did the best, yeah. yeah. That's really interesting. So even getting that, that first round of shots impaired their immune response when they got parvo. Yeah. And it makes sense, really, when you think of it in the, you know, in the bigger light of things like the uh, Purdue vaccine study that showed that one dose triggered autoimmunity in 100%. So if your body, you know, if your body's producing autoantibodies against your own DNA, it makes sense that your immune system might not be firing at at full strength. Yes, yes. So so that Purdue study was one vaccine only? Yeah. In those those test animals? Wow. So the, the, the study Dr. Cooney is talking about is a large study out of Purdue. Conventional veterinarians ran it, yeah. and um, they, they found autoantibodies against the animals, the dog's own tissues, like against heart tissue and connective tissue and various tissues. So one vaccine, that's amazing. So yeah. it's far from a benign thing. Yeah, and and it wasn't. It was another thing where statistics weren't even needed because it was 100 percent in the wow. vaccinated group and and zero percent in the non-vaccinated. The non-vaccinated group got saline injections, I think. Uh huh. And so it was 100 to zero. Wow. Um, so, yeah. So it's not even a matter of you know taking a chance. It's it's a sure thing that they're going to have autoantibodies. Yeah. Wow. Immunity. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> So that really puts a puts an interesting light on the on the whole thought of the human population getting a, a mandatory vaccine ruling coming down on them, doesn't it? Yes, it does. <laughs> wow. 
I yeah, I I don't think it would be that much different across the species board. Yeah. 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 Amazing. Mm-hmm. So up to you, Todd, but if you if you think it's appropriate, um probably some folks would like to hear what your top three or five remedies are that have been the most useful ones in uh, treating parvo when you were back in the day of kind of up to your up to your elbows in parvo <laughs> cases yeah. what were the remedies that came up um, well we we had in the talk I just finished um, for HPMA too so it's fresh in my mind but um, the the remedy that seemed to be, at least as far as I could tell, almost like a genus epidemicus is arsenicum album. Interesting. You know, I, you know I, when I put in a short list of symptoms, or if I put in 10 or 12 symptoms, it comes up first on the list. Uh-huh. It, it comes up really high ranking. And um, Ipecac comes up pretty high, but it's not a remedy I've used much for Parvo. I have used it a few times, but because of the nausea and vomiting, being predominant, but uh-huh. really, I would say arsenicum, uh, nux vomica, and phosphorus are probably the three that I tend to use a lot. And I look for keynote symptoms in the case. You know what's what seems to be most prominent. The puppy that comes in and he's only vomiting. He's parvo positive, but he's just vomiting. He has no diarrhea yet. He seems nauseated, and um, we'll try nux vomica if. If they're real restless, um, trying to take little sips of water, uh, very foul rank, the smelly parvodiarrhea, arsenicum for sure. Yeah. And then the puppy that um, seems very thirsty but throws it up a short time later and has bright blood in the diarrhea, phosphorus is more more fitting, I think. Beautiful. So little things like that. So it's it's not like, you know, all parvocases are the same. And I used to treat them all the same when I treated conventionally. Everybody got the same cocktail of drugs. Exactly. And we just, you know, hope for the best. But um, And most of them probably pulled through just on their own their own grit of their immune system, <laughs> you know, in spite of the treatment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but, so it makes it a little more interesting, even though I don't treat many cases anymore. It, it made it a lot, a lot more fun, I guess, I would say. More of a puzzle-solving feeling yeah. instead of just going through the motions and giving everybody all the same drugs. Yeah, yeah. And like you say, it doesn't have to be an in-depth uh, analysis. You've got a few keynote no. symptoms and you run. Right, exactly, yeah. And and the pace of the illness is usually pretty rapid, so yeah. they they can change from hour to hour, and the remedy might change too. We might give a puppy nux in the morning and arsenicum at noon and phosphorus in the evening. You know, it wouldn't uh-huh. be unusual and and always looking out too for signs that maybe it's a different remedy like sometimes i'll give thuya i'll hear the pup in there and they have that sputtering gas and water mix uh-huh. in their stool and oh we better give thuya uh-huh. um toward the end if a puppy's really dragging out taking a long time to recover we'll even give the nosode and that seems to help toward the end of the clinical disease um or or another um chronic remedy like sulfur or calcarea, depending uh-huh. on Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So those tend to be helpful too. But but usually the polycrest remedies, the big ones like our arsenicum, um, nux, those tend to help 
help most of the cases. Beautiful, beautiful. I don't know how many, we've had many pups that just got one dose of Nuxvomica and that was all they needed. Oh, and nice, a nice. Few hours later, they were barking and wanting some food. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's lovely. Kind of like the COVID-19 treatment, huh? Yeah, <laughs> it's quick. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It is That's a quick beautiful. remedy. If it if it's similar to the disease, it's pretty rapid. Yeah. 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 You know you know if you have to change and you know if you don't. You're they're they're not looking back. They're going, Okay, where's the next meal? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's great. Mm-hmm. Well, that's really, really helpful, Todd. Anything else you want to wrap up with for um people interested in Parvo? I, I think one of the things I I think of when I think of parvo is it's everywhere. Everywhere dogs are, parvo is, correct? Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. I think so. Yeah, and I think it's, um, you know, from what I can tell, it just seems universal. And I, I, you know, because people will say, well, my dog is not around other dogs. And I say, well, do you ever have a housefly in your house? Do you have ants (laughs) in your house? Do you ever see (laughs) insects, you know, birds? It it could be carried a lot of different ways. Yeah. yeah, and I also like to like to compare it to ping ping pong balls. Imagine if the virus were as big as ping pong balls, it it would look like it snowed ping pong balls outside, probably. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, if, invisible yeah. to us, but uh, at that size, we'd see it everywhere. Yeah, so it's very prevalent, and I think, you know, for people to think they can avoid it and protect their puppy that way, I think it's wishful thinking. And yeah, I would much rather just build the immune system and. You know, yeah, yeah. Know, know that the puppy's going to encounter it and and build a strong response. Yeah. Because that's, that's lifelong protection then. I'm curious how long you have your your uh, puppy wellness uh, people give the no-sode for Parvo. How old? We, we, generally, um, we generally have them give it until they're six months old. Okay. Uh, once a week. And that, that's a bit of an arbitrary time frame, but... And then we we have on the label too that they can continue giving it you know longer if they want to, and we have some folks that will do it once a month until the dog's a year old. Uh-huh. Uh, most people won't do. We don't recommend giving an annual booster with it or no. any any more doses of it really because they just don't seem to need it. Right. And you know I think we've seen enough dogs now that we would know if if that was failing if that was not the case. Right. So. And. Uh- uh, I've had some people, um, write me and say, you know, I'm, I'm having a lot of parvo. Um, I'd like to get the no sode from you. I've, I've had a no sode on my site for some time and, mm-hmm. um, tend to put them on no sode distemper, um, alternate weeks is my protocol. But, um, <laughs> what's your, what's your take on if somebody's in full blown parvo is a no sode of use at that time, or would you rather use a single remedy? I, I would probably I would probably use a single remedy. I, I yeah I don't know that a nosode is that useful. It, it might be. I just I think I really haven't used it that way. So it it might be an interesting experiment. But I I feel like I've experimented enough with people's pets in the past. I don't know. Yeah <laughs> yeah you're you're onto something that works, and you might as well stick with it. Yeah, it seems to work, and and most the most the people I've read too recommend sticking with single remedies for treating clinical disease and no sods for prevention. Right. Although although it seems to be common thought that they can be helpful at the end of the disease process when things yeah, are winding that's, down. Yeah, 
That's interesting. Yeah, to yeah. help them wrap up if they're taking a long time to finish. Yeah, and we'll, it will give no-sodes. Like if we have a parvo case in the hospital, we, we don't have a fancy isolation unit or anything. So we we try to isolate as much as we can, be social distancing with our puppy, you know. But we'll give the other dogs that are down there that day, like if they're in for teeth cleaning or something, we'll give them a dose of parvo no-sode. Oh, that's a good idea. Just to be on the safe side, you know. Sure, and sure. So, I just had someone write me just last week, and they said, uh, "You know, we're we're busy rescuing tons of puppies. Moms have been uh, lost somehow, and there's a mm -hmm. there's a litter of puppies under a porch or something, and uh, you know we're just losing them. Or you know we can't we can't keep ahead of it." Mm -hmm. And I I wrote her back and I said, "You know, consider getting no sods into those pups, and um, you know as early as you get them, as early as you rescue them." Yeah. You think that'd be a helpful thing? Oh yeah, absolutely. I think it would be. Yeah, yeah. I I think even um, you know just putting it in the water somehow. You know that's that's what Christopher Day did with kennel cough. They put it in the drinking water, and the kennel cough just went down to zero pretty fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing. So yeah, that's a great study. I think it could be useful that way. I've tried to get a few shelters interested, and I haven't had any takers yet. Um, it's amazing how resistant, how much resistance there is. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, so. Yeah, Kennelkoff's another great example of a, of a very no-so-preventable disease. I've had a couple kennels seek me out and say, I, I understand you've done some work in this. Can we get it from you? And they're, they're always returning for more, you know, because it's worked so well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, yeah, and putting it simple yeah. as putting it in the water dish right down the line, dunk, dunk, dunk. All right, exactly, yeah. Beautiful. Piece of cake, really, and it's so inexpensive compared to what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and, um, and, and kennel cough vaccine seems to not be a very benign vaccine. I used to think of it as being pretty harmless, you know, since you're giving it intranasal and not through a needle. But turns out it may be pretty bad. Interesting. What I've read. Yeah. Uh huh. So, well, Doctor Cooney, thanks very much for coming on today. You've you've been a wealth of information, and I'm sure this is really going to be practical of practical use to a lot of people listening. So yeah, I hope so. Carry on with your good work and keep those keep those data at least in the basement if you if you don't have time to publish them and we'll we'll one day hear what what uh, a decade or two has has uh, done for you I'll, I'll try to keep going through the data see what I can come up with yeah. all right it's thanks, a deal Will. thanks dr will yeah all right everyone that's it for today again thanks so much for listening and we'll be back with another broadcast before too long bye for now well, this was a really super interesting episode. I hope you valued it like I did. This is one you want to visit the show notes on, vitalanimal.com slash podcast. And this is episode number three. So do visit there. Both Dr. Cooney and I will have some handouts for you on how to do things on your own to help prevent and I'm not sure if he's got treatment on there, but he, he's putting together something, and I've got something for you ready to go. I also forgot to ask him before uh, we left the conversation where people can reach him online. And so Dr. Cooney is at 
naturalanimalconsulting.com, naturalanimalconsulting.com. And that link and others, including the handouts, will be on the show notes page. So vitalanimal.com slash podcast number three or episode number three. Thanks so much for listening. And again, before you go, please subscribe to this podcast so it rises in the stats and people discover it and can join and help their animals as well. Thanks so much. This is Dr. Will Falconer. Over and out.